Welcome to The Socialist Program. This is the audio of our monthly seminar. Subscribe and support this programming at patreon.com slash the socialist program to join live once a month and ask Brian Becker your questions and listen to them as soon as they come out. Thanks so much for your help in keeping this independent show going. We can make this program with you, but not without you. I want to start by talking about tomorrow's show, actually, with Daniel Ellsberg. We pre-recorded the show yesterday, and I think it's a really important interview. It's interesting. I learned something. I thought I pretty much knew the Daniel Ellsberg story. When we were talking and sort of towards the end of the interview, which is about 45 minutes long, he talks about the fact that the Pentagon Papers actually had a very big impact on ending the U.S. war against Vietnam. That was interesting to me because when the Pentagon Papers came out, which was in you know 1971, 50 years ago this week, which is why we contacted Daniel, the country had already turned against the war. I mean, everybody was in the streets. Kent State was the year before. That was these massive protests that took place when people found out that Nixon had secretly expanded the war into Laos and to Cambodia. And the country was in great ferment. And actually, when the Pentagon Papers came out, it was a big deal. But I didn't think at the time, well, it it didn't really impact public opinion that much, except it sort of validated the anti-war position that the government had been lying to the people. So that strengthened our hand. And it also showed that there was really a sharp division within the ruling class about the war. Ellsberg himself was, I think, number three at the Pentagon. He wasn't like, you know, a low-level person. And there was so much disagreement within the ruling class and among the establishment because the war couldn't be won. And the war was going on and on and on. And even in 1971, it was creating conditions of almost like political civil war in the United States. You know, somebody had asked me recently in a discussion I had with political activists in the PSL in Philadelphia, what's the difference between now and when I was like becoming a political activist for the first time, which was back in that period. And I said, you know, at that time, when I was 18 years old, I actually believed that within two years or so, we'd either be the government or we'd be dead, meaning this was going to be the revolution. We were going to either win or die because that's how it felt. And of course, that was politically immature. You know, I wasn't capable of understanding how things could ebb and flow, et cetera. But my point is that the Pentagon Papers, while important, didn't seem to be that impactful in terms of making more people anti-war. It just validated the position. But Ellsberg in the article makes the point that Nixon's plan was to withdraw American soldiers in 1973, which he finally did do, but to maintain a very heavy air war against Vietnam and to continue that air war going forward. And that what happened is that Nixon was actually forced out of office in 1974. He resigned rather than be impeached. And the reason he was impeached was because of the fallout from Watergate. But Watergate really began with the creation of a secret unit by Nixon to crush Daniel Ellsberg. And it was because, this is interesting, the Pentagon Papers are not about Nixon. 
Nixon comes into office in January 1969, but the Pentagon Papers were commissioned by McNamara in 1968. So it's 22 years before 1968, documenting the lies of the U.S. government about its war in Southeast Asia. So in a way, you would think, well, why would Nixon actually care that much? It's mainly incriminating Lyndon Johnson and JFK, and before that, Eisenhower, and Nixon was Eisenhower's vice president. But the Pentagon Papers don't really talk much about Nixon during the 1950s when he was the vice president. But the reason Ellsberg explains in the interview, he says that Nixon felt that Ellsberg had other documents about Nixon and that he had to destroy Ellsberg before the documents were released. And as a consequence, Nixon created the special unit under the leadership of Howard Hunt, who was a part of the Bay of Pigs invasion, a Cuban counter-revolutionary, and other Cuban counter-revolutionaries. They invaded Ellsberg's psychoanalyst's office to try to get incriminating files about Ellsberg to blackmail him. Uh, they did other things to incapacitate Ellsberg. And then eventually that unit that was created under Howard Hunt's leadership also started breaking into the Democratic Party at Watergate Hotel here in Washington, which is what led finally to the Watergate scandal. So Ellsberg's point is that by Nixon's attacks against Ellsberg backfiring, it led, in fact, to the end of the Nixon presidency. And by Nixon leaving the presidency, Gerald Ford, who came in, was unprepared to do what Nixon was prepared to do with Kissinger, was, which was to continue the air war for another three or four or five years. So that was something that I learned in this interview, a really fascinating point, which was that the exiting of Nixon at that moment in American history, it couldn't have led to an escalation of the ground war in Vietnam, but it could have maintained the carpet bombing and other you know, vicious genocidal type bombing, the kind of bombing that Operation Rolling Thunder was named after during the Johnson administration. For those of us who were active at that time, we saw what Nixon was capable of in 1972 with the Christmas bombing. They destroyed big parts of Hanoi in the spring offensive where the Vietnamese were trying to liberate all of South Vietnam, spring 1972. He mined the harbors of Haiphong, put explosive devices in Haiphong Harbor, that's in North Vietnam and was carpet bombing South Vietnam, too, where the NLF was coming. But what was slowing Nixon down in 1972 was that 25%, one out of every four B-52 bombers, those bombers that fly at 30,000 feet and drop these 2,000-pound bombs on the people on the ground, 25% of them were shot down by the North Vietnamese Army and the National Liberation Front because unbeknownst to Nixon and Kissinger, the Soviets had started supplying the Vietnamese with advanced surface-to-air missiles. So even though you couldn't see the B-52s, certainly you couldn't shoot them down with anti-aircraft, sort of normal conventional anti-aircraft, the surface-to-air missile could bring them down. So as a matter of fact, during that spring offensive, I can remember marching through Grand Central Station, John Lennon was playing give peace a chance the next block over at a big concert, which we didn't agree with. We thought like, why go to a concert? Didn't seem appropriate to me at the time. But we were chanting down with Nixon, down with two. Two was the president of South Vietnam. Down, down, down go the B-52s. Meaning the B-52s were falling like really being taken out by the Vietnamese. And so those of us who were anti-imperialists and thought that the Vietnamese 
deserved the right to determine their own destiny, we could see that this was a real military turning point in the war. We've got a lot of really great questions. So what do you believe is the socialist approach of highlighting working class pride and approaching patriotism within a socialist program? In many post-war socialist bloc states, patriotism was used to combat residual fascist nationalism internally, for example, Hungary's Patriotic People's Front. So is there a way to utilize the same to end U.S. imperialism and fascism from within? In almost all of the socialist countries, well, certainly in China, in Vietnam, in North Korea, in Cuba, in Laos, Cambodia, those socialist revolutions were also national liberation movements. So the patriotism of the oppressed, the patriotism of people in oppressed, subjugated, colonized countries, that patriotism and nationalism is distinctly different from the nationalism of, say, the United States or the nationalism of the British, because that nationalism ties the people to the imperialist state which is perpetrating all of these oppressions and subjugations against other peoples, colonized, semi-colonized people around the world. And thus, from a socialist point of view, the Vietnamese, the Chinese, the Cubans, they were fighting to free the country from national and foreign oppression. And in the case of China, also from semi-feudal oppression and to unite the country, which had been broken up and divided between warlords and semi-feudal estates that were under warlord connection. So that's part of it. That's all for this preview. If you'd like access to the rest of this seminar and our entire archive of exclusive seminars with Brian Becker, become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We are an independent show and we cannot make this programming without you. Thanks so much for your support. 